Good morning. It's November 16th. It is a pleasant morning in New York, 10 degrees warmer than yesterday was. And this is your Indignity Morning Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Skoka, taking a look at the day and the news. Elon Musk, the world's richest man, a major defense contractor, and the proprietor of a degraded but still highly influential global communications platform, used that platform last night to go fully Nazi, jumping into a thread where a user who is paying Musk for the blue check mark that will get their comments promoted to other users through the algorithm, accused Jews of pushing dialectical hatred against whites and of supporting flooding the country with hordes of minorities, to which Elon Musk replied, you have said the actual truth. This was simply a direct statement of the Great Replacement conspiracy theory, cited in the manifestos of multiple white supremacist mass murderers. It's also, as Joshua Benton has noted in The Atlantic and on Blue Sky, exactly what Musk's grandfather, the racist Canadian politician Joshua Haldeman, who moved his family to South Africa to take part in the newly formed apartheid state there, wrote about in his 1960 book, The International Conspiracy to Establish a World Dictatorship and the Menace to South Africa. It may be true that Elon Musk's recent embrace of open Nazi sympathies is a very public demonstration of the process by which Nazis find unhappy, unpopular losers online, welcome them in, and gradually encourage them to become more and more Nazi in their expression, and Musk's complete failure at the social aspect of social media made him vulnerable to that approach, but he pretty clearly, fundamentally, believes in the racist and anti-Semitic material that he is promoting. Print deadlines being what they are, the story on the front of today's New York Times business section, Hate Speech Against Jews and Muslims Spews Online, was finished before Musk made his latest contribution to that hate speech. But still, he'd built up more than enough of a track record that the story really could have profited by connecting the personal interests and expressions of the person who owns the platform formerly known as Twitter to the eruption of bigotry on his platform. In the front section of today's Times, there's a two-column look at the ongoing story of Israel storming Al-Shifa Hospital, After Israeli troops took control of Gaza's largest medical facility yesterday, the Times reports, in a video taken at the hospital, a military spokesman, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus, displayed caches of guns, ammunition, protective vests, and Hamas military uniforms, some of which, he said, had been hidden behind MRI machines and others in nearby storage units. The New York Times, the New York Times adds, was unable to verify the provenance of the weapons and equipment in the images. Some people have noted that an MRI room is a strange place to store weapons, given the strong rules against bringing stray metal objects anywhere near the powerful magnets there. Earlier this year, a man in Brazil died when he was shot by his own gun that he had brought tucked in his waistband to his mother's MRI appointment. But the rule against having guns around an MRI does depend on the electromagnets being electrified, and with the hospital being starved for electricity to the extent that NICU incubators couldn't be kept running. The MRI hazard was probably at low level, but the larger point is that wherever the guns were, the IDF sold the assault on the hospital as an effort to neutralize a critical major Hamas operating center, complete with Torah Bora-style renderings of the command center that was allegedly hidden under the facility. And in their first day of controlling the hospital, they emphatically failed to produce anything even vaguely resembling that. Elsewhere on the top of the front page, there's a look at catalytic converter thefts, tracing the market for the stolen devices to a 
precious metals recycling facility at a mine in Montana. And a look at Joe Biden's meeting yesterday with Xi Jinping in California, which The Times says produced no major breakthroughs and left many issues unresolved. Inside the paper on page 11, Iceland is still counting down to see whether its recent spate of tens of thousands of earthquakes mean a new volcanic eruption is coming soon. And on page A15, the three-reporter team of Jonathan Swan, Maggie Haberman, and Charlie Savage presents a roundup of Donald Trump's plans to assume dictatorial power if he wins the presidency again. The subheadings are Trump wants to use the Justice Department to take vengeance on his political adversaries. He intends to carry out an extreme immigration crackdown. Trump has plans to use military force closer to home. Trump and his allies want greater control over the federal bureaucracy and workforce. And Trump allies want lawyers who will not restrain him. A statement from the Trump campaign told the Times that news reports about the campaign's personnel and policy intentions are purely speculative and theoretical. The story then notes, The plans described here generally derive from what Mr. Trump has trumpeted on the campaign trail, what has appeared on his campaign website, and interviews with Trump advisors, including one who spoke with the New York Times at the request of the campaign. The very publicness of it creates a sort of news publishing problem. It's all certainly more dangerous and alarming than the catalytic converter theft problem. But how do you convert what's known into what people care about? Trump is absolutely going to try to do this stuff. His only regret about January 6th is that he didn't have enough dead-end loyalists in the bunker with him to make it work. But what can you do about it except keep writing the same story over and over again? Maybe start putting it on the front page. That is the news. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Indignity to keep us going. And if all goes well, we will talk again tomorrow.